Well, if you brought your book with you, we will go to Lesson 1.1, Issue 1, which is the Conversion Experience. And, of course, we're going to be spending some time tonight discussing a biblical understanding of conversion. Conversion, of course, as many of you know, refers to how a person becomes a Christian and specifically the human side of, of how that all happens. Uh, how one becomes a convert to Christianity, there's lots of different ways to convert. If you're going to be a Muslim, like my friend at work, you have to do certain things. You have to, to say something uh, called the Shahada, and once you've said that, you've got four other pillars of Islam that you have to follow, and you're, you're basically a, a convert to Islam. We want to have uh, an understanding of what it means to be a Christian and a biblical understanding of conversion. You say, that's, that's simple, right? You know, do we really, you know, I, I got this one. I'll tell you what it is and we can save ourselves, you know, 45 minutes. Uh, it's just accepting Jesus into your heart, right? You want to be a Christian? You accept Jesus into your heart. Okay, fair enough. But what does that mean? What does it mean to accept Jesus into your heart? Hopefully, um, we will have a better understanding, or for some of us, uh, we'll review some things about conversion tonight. And it is important to understand the biblical doctrine of conversion because of what's at stake. Eternal things are at stake in having a proper understanding of what it means to become a Christian. And you and I want to know this for ourselves and we also want to be able to articulate that to the people that we're talking to. For instance, while I was at Panera over the weekend, I was doing a little bit of studying for this, and there's a guy that just started engaging me in conversation, at first about my computer and then on being, you know, having a global consciousness and, and how humanity is going to get better and better because we can share information. And so... Uh, I said, well, let me talk to you about what I'm studying. <laughs> uh, bummer for him, I was studying conversion. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, uh, I said, I don't really think just because we can freely share information that things are going to get better and better because look at the world. Is it getting better to you? <laughs> uh, there's something else that's got to happen. You've got to, you've got to meet Jesus. You've got to become a Christian. And uh, so we went back and forth on that. And he basically, and maybe you've had this experience, he basically agreed with everything I said. Was he a Christian? I doubt it, because he was nodding his head and he was agreeing with everything I said, but he was also bringing up all kinds of other crazy things. Not crazy to him, but he was bringing up all kinds of other things. So we need to, we need to be able to articulate as best we can what it means to be a Christian. And so the way we're going to do that is we're going to start with one of the most striking conversion experiences in the scripture. One of the most striking conversion experiences that you'll see in the scripture is that of a guy named Saul. And you can see that. It's actually printed out in your book in page 1.2 from Acts 9, 1-22. And we're going to look at Saul's conversion experience and we're kind of going to use, we're going to 
try to draw some principles out of that and use that as a template for, for understanding what exactly the pieces of conversion, what happens, um, what are the elements of it, um, what are the results of it, that sort of thing. We're going to use his conversion experience, experience as a template for our discussion today. There will be opportunity for you to interact, as I said last week. Um, that's what we like to do uh, during these times. But it's going to take us a little while to get there. So if you've got your, uh, if you came ready to talk and you have a hundred things you want to tell me, um, just write them down and be calm. <laughs> You'll get your opportunity, but we've got to set it up a little bit. So for those of you who have, um, don't have as much of a, a understanding of all the parts of the Bible, let me just explain a little bit briefly about who Saul is. Saul is a guy who is a, a Jew uh, living during the time of Jesus, after Jesus, who um, is a very harsh persecutor of Christians, hates Christianity. This is a very smart guy. Okay, you could say, uh, you know, the school that he went to to study Jewish theology, you, you'd say, you know, we would say something like this guy went to Princeton. I mean, he went to top, top, uh, top flight school. And he is a rising star in the religious landscape today. And this guy is just on a mission. And his mission is to stamp out Christianity. And so he's going from town to town, um, finding, identifying Christians, and throwing them in jail or having them executed. So this isn't a nice guy. Saul is going uh, to Damascus to do what I've just described. He's going to look for Christians. He's going to try to imprison them. And while he's on the way to Damascus, this happens. I'll start reading in verse 1, and we won't read the whole thing because we won't have time to read such a long portion of Scripture. But in... In, uh, in verse 1 it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way is a way of describing people who were following Christ, they called it the way, if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So he's taken, he's blinded, he's taken to a city. Uh, a Christian le leader there in that city is actually, God tells him to go to Saul, to talk to him. He's afraid at first because he knows that Saul's been going around throwing Christians in jail. Uh, but he's reassured that everything's going to be okay. He's going to give the next steps to Saul. Saul's name changes to Paul. So again, if you're not very familiar with the New Testament, this is one of the things that happens in the Bible all the time. People get their names changed. <laughs> Um, happens in the Old Testament, happens in the New Testament, and it happens to Saul. He becomes Paul. So if you're, that's the same guy, Saul, Paul. Uh, but he goes around and he, he turns from becoming one of the most, uh, uh, one of the most staunchest, is that a word? 
he's staunchly against against Christians. He does a complete uh, about face and dedicates his life to spreading the gospel of Jesus. Complete change for this man. And we get to read a little bit more about his conversion experience in Acts chapter 26. And you can actually turn over to Acts chapter 26 because he talks about it in a little bit more detail there than in the account of what happened. And what's going on in Acts chapter 26 is uh, the Jewish leaders, who he was once a part of, have now arrested him, and he is standing before a Roman court testifying on his own behalf that he's not causing sedition against the empire and all this. And he gives an account to them of what happened to him on this Damascus road. And he says, uh, there's one thing that is included in that account that's not included in Acts chapter 9. In verse 14, he says uh, that the voice from heaven he heard, the the words of Jesus that he heard, are, are this, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. You're going in the wrong direction, and it's going to be painful for you. You need to have an about face. You need to have a turn. You need to have a change of heart. And he goes on to say um, what Jesus tells him in verse 16. Jesus says to, to Saul, Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven first to those in Damascus, where he was originally heading to imprison people, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to all the Gentiles. Gentiles are simply people who aren't Jews. To all the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That's the message that he goes around preaching. All right. So this is the the conversion experience that Saul has, and because his name changed soon after that, I'm going to start referring him to Paul. Referring to him as Paul from this point forward. So there are a few things that I want to highlight then about Paul's conversion experience. And the first one is this. Paul's conversion highlights what conversion is. Conversion is a turning. It is fundamentally a turning. It is a change of heart. It is a change of mind. It is a change of moral direction. Where at one point... You are, you, are, you are going in one direction, you are captured by grace, and you are no longer going that direction, pursuing that way of life, pursuing those things. You are turning away from what you now understand to be sin, and you are turning in faith to God, and you are going in a completely new direction. One person has defined conversion this way as a total change in one's direction in life or moral orientation. And the change that anyone who comes to Christ, this, this about face, this turn, it happens spiritually for us, right? 
But what happens spiritually for us actually happens physically to him. I mean, one moment, he is, he is hell-bent on finding people who are Christians and following the way and persecuting them, destroying their families, putting them in jail, even putting them to death. That's the way he's going. And he's literally knocked to the ground with light around him. And Jesus, a voice from heaven, which, he, which identifies himself as Jesus, says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And completely turns around and says, you're not going there. I'm rerouting you. You're going a different direction. And what happened to him physically is what happens to us spiritually when we come to Christ. The word for conversion, the word conversion isn't used that many times in Scripture. It's used a few times. Um, For instance, in uh, Acts chapter 15, in verse 3, it says, The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told, the gen- they, t- they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This made all the brothers very glad. If you just were to look through your Bible and look for the word conversion or convert, you're not going to see it that many times. But the, but the concept of, of turning is all throughout the Scriptures. When you, think of the old, when you think to the Old Testament and you think about the Jewish people, God is constantly telling them that they need to repent and then if they would only turn their hearts back to God, if they would only repent of their sin and stop following after idols, or stop putting their faith in the nations around them, or the ability of their own kings or prophets to, to work out their, their foreign policy, or, or whatever it is, they're constantly being told by God, if you would only turn your hearts back to me. In Psalm 51, in verse 13, the Bible says, I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Another place, Proverbs 1.23, says, If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. That word, responded, is, could literally be translated turned. If you had turned to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you. We see it all the time in the New Testament, especially through Acts, because Acts is an account of these people who have been followers of Jesus, and then they're then sent out to evangelize the world around them. And we see their preaching, the message that they preach to all, all kinds of different groups of people. And we see, for instance, in Acts 3, verse 19, One of them says, Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 35, the Bible says this, All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 says, They themselves, this is another church, report what kind of reception you gave to us, to the missionaries that had come through. So they tell how you turned to God from idols to to serve the living and true God. So I could go through several other scripture passages, but those are just a few few smattering passages from the Old Testament 
and the New Testament to demonstrate that conversion is first of all a turning away from one direction that you're going. It's an about faith to go a completely new direction. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a change of will. And Paul's conversion experience demonstrates that for us. It also highlights this, uh, this conversion experience of Paul that we read about in Acts 9, and verse 20, uh, chapter 9, and also in chapter 26. It also highlights the two parts of conversion. There are two parts to conversion. Faith and repentance. The two parts of conversion are faith and repentance. And you can see that if you're still in Acts chapter 26, you'll see our word again, that our concept of turning. If you're in Acts 26 and you look at verse 18, he's talking about what he was sent to do, what God sent him to do. He says, part of what he's sent to do is to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. The people that he is going to give the gospel to are people who the scripture pictures as being in darkness and pursuing darkness and loving darkness. And God says, I am sending you to them to turn them from darkness to light. Well, how is that going to happen? Can you see faith and repentance in verse 18? Look at verse 18. You see faith and repentance there. Where do you see, where do you see repentance? In verse 18, what phrase clues you in that we're talking about repentance? Okay, turning them. Okay, what's another phrase in verse 18? He's talking about them receiving forgiveness of sins. How do you receive forgiveness of sins? Repentance. His method, his message is one of forgiveness, but to receive forgiveness, one must first repent. Where do you see faith there? I'm in chapter 26. 26, 18. Where do you see faith in verse 18? Okay. They're turning from darkness to light. What about the end? The, the verse actually says, sanctified. among those who are sanctified by what? By faith in me. So we don't actually see, we don't actually see Paul <coughs> expressing repentance and faith in his conversion, but we can see what he did by his commissioning by God. God is saying, what you have done, responding to me in repentance and faith, because Paul had to repent of the sin that he was that he was doing, okay, obviously, and then he has to put his trust in Jesus. He doesn't be, he doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and yet Jesus intervenes in his life and demonstrates to him in no uncertain terms that he is, and that Paul is going to turn and follow him. So what Paul does, repenting and believing, he's then commissioned to do is to go out and preach a message of repentance and faith. And those are, two, those are the two elements of conversion, repentance and faith. Now let's talk a little bit about repentance and faith. Let's, st- let's start with faith. Okay? Tell me, tell me a little bit about what the elements of faith are. Tell me about saving faith. Give me your thoughts on, on faith, Vince. Uh, 
death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's content to faith, right? Have you ever heard people say, I've got faith? They just say, I have my faith, my faith got me through. Well, faith in what? Faith has content. As Vince has highlighted to us, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel. We're going to talk about the gospel a little bit more next week. Okay, so there's content to faith. All right, let me ask you this question. Does a person, is, is, it, is it merely enough to know that Jesus Christ was a historical figure who lived and died? Do lots of people, are there lots of people that know that? Okay, the devil knows that. So, faith isn't just having a certain number of facts in your head, is it? There's more to faith than that. There is a there is a there is a part of there's a part of the will that has to agree with those facts. There's a part of the there's a part of faith that is is trust. Because there's all kinds of people that believe in Jesus. But do they have saving faith? Some of them perhaps not. Because it's not just enough to know who Jesus is. You have to believe that, that what Jesus said was true. And not only do you have to believe that what Jesus said was true, you have to believe that, what, that that is true for you. Because there's all kinds of, of people that you'll meet that will say, yeah, I know that, and that's good for you. Like the guy that I talked to in, in Panera, he was like, I'm glad you found that. I'm glad that's working for you. He believed, he agreed with everything I said about Jesus, and he said, that's great. Go for it. Would you say that that person has faith? The biblical kind that we're talking about? I would say no. Because he may have the knowledge, but faith just isn't just knowledge. Faith is trust. And so part of conversion, part of becoming a Christian, is recognizing certain things about Jesus and about myself, and then trusting that there is nothing else in the world that is going to make my life right with God except Jesus. That's the only thing. That is faith. And that is part of conversion. Okay? Then there's repentance. What are some elements of, of, of real repentance? Okay, Bill? Sorrow. Okay. There's, a, there's an element of sorrow in repentance. Second Corinthians 7, verse 9 says, I'm happy not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. You know, part of conversion is recognizing my sin isn't just um, a weakness. It isn't just a mistake. I, it's not just I'm human. We all do that. My sin is an affront to God. And there's, there's, there's a sorrow, isn't there, when we realize that we are responsible to a holy God who created us, and yet we're completely going our own way. And every day we go about living independently, not caring about God, 
not living for his purposes, not being obedient to his will as it's been revealed, as he has revealed to us, looking at the sacrifice of Christ, him giving, God giving his only son, and having no sorrow that it's my sin that put him there. There's a, there is a godly sorrow that accompanies repentance. Anyone else have any thoughts, parts of repentance that you can think of? Okay. There's a, there's a turning from your sin. You know, people, if, if you're genuinely repentant, are you going to just easily go back to your sin? I'm not saying that, you know, obviously I've repented of sins that I've committed many, many times afterwards. But genuine repentance is, there's a, an element of genuine repentance where we renounce the sin. We say, and this, this is that concept of turning again. I am turning away from my sin, and I am turning to Christ. That's, an, that's another element of real conversion, turning away from your sin and turning to Christ. Both faith and repentance are necessary, as I have said, and this is the message that you see preached throughout the, throughout the New Testament over and over again. If you want to become a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to believe, you're going to have to trust, you're going to have to repent of your sin. And sometimes those things are mentioned together, and sometimes they're not. We have verses like Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that say that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, what is, what's the one element that's talked about there? Faith and repentance. Faith, okay? Then we've got verses like Acts 17.30. God commands all men everywhere to repent. And then we've got verses where they put them together. This is, these are the words of Jesus in Mark 1.15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So, calling when you are when you are having conversations to people, and you get to the point where you are talking to them about how you become a Christian, these are the two elements that you need to be articulating to them. There needs to be repentance, and there needs to be trust and belief in Christ. What is often left out, I'm afraid, in our culture is the repentance, right? There's lots, of, there's lots of talk about believing in Jesus. But where you really get people sometimes is repentance. Because I can believe in Jesus, but I do not want to change. I don't want to forsake my sin. And, you know, I saw an ex- a, a silly example of this um, on, on a show that I watched on Sunday. You ever, uh, anybody watch The Amazing Race? I'm the only person here that watched The Amazing Race. Has anybody ever heard of The Amazing Race? Okay, people traveling around the world, racing for money. Um, but it's interesting because you get to see all these cultures that they go to. Well, there's, these, there's two guys on there that are brothers. And they said, um, they were doing the introduction of themselves last week because it was the first show, and they said, we're Christians and we're gay. 
and uh, and there were other there were other couples on there that said we're Christian. Uh, <laughs> well, we know. I mean, we know gay people. <laughs> uh, we know. Anyway, um, you've got people who you've got people who claim to be Christians, and yet they have never walked away from their sin. Now, what I am not saying is that Christians are perfect people. I got a room full of, of examples of that, <laughs> myself included. Christians aren't perfect people, so don't walk away. Don't walk away thinking that I that I've in, even insinuated that. But on the other hand, Christians are people who are fighting sin. They agree with what the scriptures say about themselves, and they and they're turning from it. They've repented of it. And they're going to fall, and you're going to fall, and I'm going to fall, and then there's going to be repentance afterward. But you cannot be a Christian holding on to your sin. You've got to let go of the sin, and you've got to turn to Christ. That's conversion. So, putting these two elements of faith and repentance together, one person has defined conversion this way. Conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. All right. So, Paul's conversion has has brought out a few things. First of all, it's brought out what conversion is. It's a turning from something and to something else. It's brought about the parts or the elements of conversion, faith and repentance. Thirdly, it highlights the results of conversion. The results of conversion are a changed life. The results of conversion are a changed life. Let me ask you a question. Was Paul's life changed? You better believe it. I mean, you talk about us. You, you talk about the guy that's going to be on TV having the testimony. Paul's that guy. Because his life, prior to, become, prior to becoming a Christian and after becoming a Christian, is totally, totally different. And that's part of Paul's message. Remember we were reading in Acts 26 where he's standing before King Agrippa and talking about what God has commissioned him to do? Here's what I'm going to read to you one more again, something that he says in verse 20. He says, First to those in, in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent and turn to God, and what? Demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Conversion results in a changed life. And it can't result in anything else. It is, it is absolutely catastrophic to your life when you become a Christian. You know, the message is is that, that we'll hear sometimes is that everything is going to get better. It doesn't always get better, does it? But the work that God does in you is, is amazing. Catastrophic. It wrecks your life, but it starts changing it. And he starts changing your desires. And when you were once fulfilled by these certain pursuits and you thought those were making, happy, making you happy and all they were doing was bringing you misery, 
your desires are changed. You start being obedient and you start becoming a new person. Which is why elsewhere in scripture, becoming a Christian is referred to as the new birth. Completely new person. It's the work of God in you. So armed with this understanding of conversion that we've talked about, is where you get to talk. Let's look at some of these conversion experiences that we've got on page 1.3. And let's see if the understanding that we've come to so far meshes with what's going on in these other conversion experiences. So we've got Zacchaeus. I'm trying to figure out the best way to, uh, to do this. Let me just write them on the board. We've got uh, Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, the woman at the well, um, Lydia, Lydia, the jailer, um, the Bereans, and Timothy. Let's talk a little bit. I'm going to add a few more. Man, I'm not very good at this, am I? Let's, uh, let's add a few categories. Let's talk, let's talk first about, about uh, the background of each one of these people what, and what, what kind of life they're going to have to turn from to turn to Christ. Um, some of you have Bibles. Some of you don't. Uh, so you can just... If you know, okay, let's start with Zacchaeus. And he's found in Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Tell me a little bit about who Zacchaeus was. Okay, he's a tax collector. What's that? A wee little man? Yeah. Okay, so he's a, he's a tax collector. What, kind of, what, what were tax collectors like? Okay, tax collectors were kind of shady. Why? Because they're tax collectors. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, why were they shady? Okay. They skimmed off the top. They were extortioners, basically. And uh, they were especially hated by Jewish people because they were Jews working for Rome. So that was especially shady. Okay, so this is... So Zacchaeus is a dishonest guy. He admits that. He's a dishonest guy. All right. Um, what are... what We've talked about faith and repentance. Can you see any... F- Anything about faith and repentance in there that would indicate that he expressed faith in Christ or that he repented? you see anything in there? repentance. Okay. Why do you see, where do you see repentance? He's going to give his money to the poor and if anyone, he ripped anyone off. Okay. Okay. So that's one of the uh, that's one of the parts of conver- parts of conversion, and it's also um, one of the results. And that's exactly the message that Paul was preaching to show their repentance by their changed lives, by their deeds, and Zacchaeus does that. Okay, tell me a little bit about Nicodemus in John three and and. And also in chapter 19. What do you know about Nicodemus? <coughs> he, was, he was afraid to come to Jesus. Okay. And he was uh, important in the Jewish 
Okay. He's afraid. He's, he's a Jew. And he's important. So what's, what's, what's Nicodemus going to have to turn away from to turn to Christ? Okay. He's going, he's going to have to turn away. He's going to have to believe in Jesus. He's not going to have his, his status. He's not, you know, who knows if it's, it's pride or whatever that brings him to, to Jesus at night. But he's, there's obviously, there's, there's nervousness there <laughs> coming. Well, he's afraid. Okay, he's, he's afraid. afraid of it. And Jesus even kind of rebukes him a little bit, doesn't he? Jesus says, you're a teacher of the law, and you're asking me these questions. All right, do we see, uh, do we see uh, faith, and, uh, faith and repentance in Nicodemus? Obviously, it's hard for some of you if you don't, if you don't have it in front of you. I guess he kind of put himself out there. He and Joseph uh, are taking the body and bearing it. Okay. Right. So he's afraid. Okay. Exactly. He, he does something very bold. Jesus is crucified, and he identifies with that. That's, that's heavy. I mean, you don't want anything to do with a guy that just got killed for what he was propagating, and yet Nicodemus does that in a very personal way. So we see he's kind of slow, slow to come to faith, but we do see um, faith and repentance in what Jesus tells him. I'll, re- I'll just read it to you in John chapter 3. But as Jesus is explaining some things to him, Jesus talks about faith in verse 16. This is the famous verse, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So there's the element of faith. And then we've got repentance in verse 19. Verse 19 says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because they're deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So there's got to be a repentance, the turning away from the darkness and turning to the light. Okay, so we've got, let's uh, we can put, uh, we've got faith in, in verse 16 and verse 19. We've got both faith and repentance. Results, he identifies with Jesus. There are results of his conversion. All right, then we've got the woman at the well. Tell me, tell me about the woman at the well. What's, what's she like and what's she going to have to turn from? Okay. We've got, we've got a very immoral woman, basically. Um, so she's got a life of immorality. Have you ever noticed how many times she keeps changing the subject of Jesus, just constantly jumping around from place to place, she keeps changing the subject. I was noticing that as I was reading it. So, what's that? No, Dale. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would have said that. <laughs> um, 
we don't get to see the woman. Uh, we don't get to see the woman. The, the Bible doesn't talk about the woman putting her faith in Jesus or expressing repentance. But we get to see the signs of it. What are the signs of what the woman does? The signs of her conversion. She goes back and tells other people. She says, "This guy told me everything I ever did." And they say, and they come back and they say, "We believe now, not because you told us, but because we've met him." So she is doing evangelism, basically. She's spreading the word. That's right. In our whole town. All right. And we've got Lydia in Acts 16, 13 to 15. What do we know about Lydia? She's a prominent business person in town, and she was aligning herself with, with what was then an unpopular cult. Okay. She's a businesswoman in the town. And Paul and his uh, the guys that are with him go to the river looking for a quiet place to pray. There's women gathered there. They preach the gospel. Now, do you see any of the, uh, do you see either faith or repentance there in her? We're in Acts 16, 13 to 15. There's another word for faith used there. She says, if you consider me a believer. So we see faith in her, she expresses faith, she believes the message. And what are some of the results of her of her conversion? Okay, she publicly identifies as a Christian. She's baptized. And what else? Family also. Okay. And what does she offer? <coughs> she says, "If you consider me a believer, can you come stay with me?" She wants to start serving. So there are, immediately, there are immediate results there for her. All right, what about the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, 25 to 34? Tell me about the Philippian jailer. What is the, somebody tell us what the circumstances are, how this person... Uh, it, first of all, is this guy a Jew? No? Okay. So we're talking about... We'll call him a Roman government worker. And he's got Paul in prison. And, of course, we don't have time to read through all that, but basically uh, the prison is shaken. Everybody's doors are opened. Um, Paul and his companions have been beaten. All night they're singing. Then the prison, there's an earthquake. The doors, the doors open up. Everybody's free to go. He's just about to kill himself because, because he knows that I better kill myself because if I don't, they will. <laughs> And walks to the walks to the jail, and everybody's still there. How crazy is that? <laughs> okay, do we see faith or repentance there? He says he immediately asks, "How yeah. can I be saved? What can I do to be saved?" And what's he told? Believe. Okay, so we've got faith again there. And what are some of the uh, what 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 are some of the results of his conversion? The same thing, spreading the word, taking okay. it to their home, okay, sharing with them. Okay, he's serving. 
the Bible says he was immediately baptized. Several people in his home were baptized. And it says another thing. He was filled with joy, which is a neat detail that the, that the, te- the Bible gives us. Okay, then we've got the Bereans. The Bereans, don't know a lot about them. This is just a three verses. But if you're in Acts 17 and you're looking at 10 to 12, do we see either faith or repentance there? Look at verse 12. What does it say in verse 12? It says, many believed. We don't see a lot about what the results of their belief were, but it says that they were noble because they looked at what was being preached to them. They looked at it in the scripture to make sure that it had matched. It was right. All right, and then we've got Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5. This is a Jewish kid. And in verse 5, Paul says, I've heard of your sincere faith. So we've got faith again. And the result is in, uh, it says he has a good testimony, basically. Does anybody have, is anybody in that scripture passage right now? Okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you what it says then. If I can get there. Second Timothy 1, 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Why was he persuaded that it lived in him? Because he had a good reputation. Okay, so he, he has a good testimony as a believer. All right, so we've got a bunch of things up here on the board. Talk to me a little bit about the backgrounds of the various people. What do you, what do you notice in the, back, of the backgrounds of these people? What are some, some, what are some differences that we've got? Okay. We've got conversion experience of a wide variety of people. People that quote unquote grew up in the church and people that didn't. People that were very hostile to Christianity, people that weren't. People who were wealthy, people who were not. Men, women, children. I mean, that's a diverse group of conversion experiences there, is it not? And let's, look a, let's think a little bit about the circumstances of how they became Christians. Tell me a little about the circ- circumstances of each one. What, what caused them to become Christians? What, what, ha- what is Jesus? What is, how, do, how does Jesus interact with Zacchaeus? What, is he, what does Jesus do? It's in the song. Oh, no. It calls him out and says, come to your house for dinner. <laughs> Which I might do on Sunday. Depending on who has the best lunch. He calls him out and says, I'm coming to your house today. So he becomes a Christian at Jesus' invitation. What about Nicodemus? Kind of more slower, maybe, over time. He is thinking about Jesus, mulling these things over in his head counting the cost, he recognizes the position that he has. But, you know, we go through several chapters, and finally we see him identifying in one of the most difficult times to identify with Christ. 
We've got this woman at the well, an immoral woman, and a woman that uh, of a national origin that the Jews, they hated. She was a Samaritan. They hated Samaritans. In fact, they wouldn't even walk through that country. They would walk around that country when they wanted to go places. And yet Jesus engages her at a well and, and calls her to believe in him. Because she's talked about the Messiah, and she keeps talking about when is he coming, and he says, I am he. And he invites her to believe. We've got Lydia, a woman, a businesswoman, and it's the, the text says God opens her heart to believe the message that's preached to her. You've got a, a jailer who is in no way, from what the scriptures tell us, who is in no way interested in Christianity. And yet he sees the testimony of these men what kind of people get a beating and then sing? Who does that? That made an impression on him. We've got the Bereans. We've got Timothy, who's the, the kid that grew up in a Christian home. But a broken home, apparently. And his mother and grandmother are the people who, who raised him to, to trust in the Lord. Got a lot of variety here. Do you want to say something? No, I just, you know, when we we were reading it, and it was just, I see the point you're going, and it just, it seems like also the different ways that Christ comes to you, or, mm -hmm. or how we come to Christ, mm -hmm. because there was people up there that were seeking, and there was people that weren't seeking that it was already, it was brought to them. Right, right. You know, so you got, you know, Zacchaeus, he was following. He wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah, Nicodemus said was wondering. I'm not sure. You know, everybody was, it was different. We might be sitting here today having no idea that Christ is going to make himself evident in our lives. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's a perfect segue into the last point that I want to bring to your attention from, from Paul's conversion. Paul's conversion finally highlights the ultimate cause of someone's conversion supernatural intervention. You didn't come to Christ because you were smarter than other people. And you got it and they didn't. Some of these people weren't even looking for Christ. Paul certainly wasn't. But Paul, God reached out to him and in his grace changed him. Gave him a heart to believe and granted him the gift of repentance. Lydia, a businesswoman, by river, hears the message of the gospel, and as the text says, God opened her heart to believe. The cause of your conversion and the cause of my conversion is nothing short of the work of God. Why is it that you believe? Because God showed you grace. He gave you the grace to believe. He confronted with you to the truth and so worked in your heart that you believed it. You put your faith in Christ and you were willing to repent of your sins and turn from them and turn to Him. And so in this sense, your conversion and my conversion are no less spectacular than Paul's. We look at that and we think, well, that's, that's amazing, you know. Mine didn't happen that way. Yes, it did. Yours was no less miraculous 
And just because a light didn't shine down on you and you didn't fall down doesn't mean that it was not an amazing supernatural work of God's grace to reach into your heart and change you and cause you to respond to the gospel message in faith. It's absolutely fantastic. But that's what explains all of these things. People from every background, age, coming to Christ, believing because they've had a supernatural intervention. So, with that said, I would be remiss if I did not at least offer, again, someone here who may have never truly responded to God in repentance and faith and ask you if you would do that. It will mean will mean a turning away from your sin, and that is hard to do. I can attest to that. You can attest to that. It's hard to do. It will mean a turn away from a sin and turning to God, but if you trust in Christ and you put your faith in the gospel, the amazing thing about God's work is that it isn't sim- simply a it isn't simply a change of mind that's totally dependent on you. It's, it's, it's a change of mind that God works in you. It isn't just changing your mind and saying, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Conversion hits you at a much deeper level than that. It changes your heart. It gives you new life. What Jesus told Nicodemus, new earth, being born again. That's conversion. Anyone have anything, uh, thoughts that you've had? Anything you want to share before we close? Okay, the next week we will talk about the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the uh, wonderful opportunity that we have to think about what's happened in our own hearts, the fact that, uh, the amazing fact that our conversion to Christianity, our, our, our trust in Jesus, our belief in the gospel, was no less spectacular than what happened to Paul on that road to Damascus. Thank you for showing us grace when we didn't deserve it. I pray that you would help us to uh, walk out of this room with thankful hearts for your grace and be Christians who are better able to articulate the truth of the gospel and then, and, and then to call people to faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.